reading together. I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, as we heed the word of the Lord tonight. From Psalm chapter 2, I'm going to read the psalm, and then we will... We will begin our time looking through this psalm quickly this evening. Psalm chapter 2, or the second psalm of the book of Psalms. Such an important passage for us, especially as we look around at the world today. It's entitled, The Reign of the Lord's Anointed, and this is God's word for us this evening. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let us bow before the Lord just once more as we begin. O Lord, may you add your blessing, God, as we have read your word, as we proclaimed your word. Father, we pray that you give us the grace to understand it and apply it to our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm chapter 2 is a powerful psalm, and I would suggest it's relevant for this appropriate time that we find ourselves in. Over the past two years, we have seen how much of what has been set in place has been torn down, and we often ask the question, Is the world spinning out of control? When we look around and see all of the things that have happened, all the conspiracies, all of the mandates, all of the grabs for power, we ask this question, is the world spinning out of control? The Reader's Digest has a a comical illustration or story of a wife speaking to her husband and asking him this question, shall we watch the 6 o'clock news and get indigestion, or should we wait for the 11 o'clock news and have insomnia? 
The question is, how do we rest secure in a world out of control? When we look around and see things going on around us, what does this tell us about God? Because often the world approaches what is going on with these questions. Is God really good? And if he's good, is he really powerful? Is he powerful enough to change it? And some would say, well, God is good, but he's not very powerful. Or God is powerful, and maybe he's not good. And then, of course, the question is, is God even near? Is God close? What is God doing with this world? Well, I would suggest to you this evening that we don't need the 6 o'clock news or the 11 o'clock news because they often tell us nothing that is new. Rather, what we need is good news. We need good news. We need peace, awareness, trust. We need hope. We need to know how God has planned to deal with the world's chaos and rebellion. And so we turn to Psalm 2. We turn to Psalm 2 this evening and we'll, we'll see four different reports, almost like news reports, from four different speakers or four different reporters. I want us to notice first in verses 1 to 6 a promise that the world cannot overcome. A promise that the world cannot overcome. The scene is set and we get this report from the world. What is going on in the world at the time that the psalmist wrote this? In verses 1 to 3, we get a picture of a scene of chaos, of restlessness. The state of the world is, is nations that rage against one another. The peoples that plot in vain and even these kings of the earth unite together. Against God. When we look and see all of the destruction in the world and division in the world, here the psalmist says the world is actually united, but to one purpose, and that is against God. The psalmist begins with this question, why? Why do the nations rage? This seems senseless. It seems unthinkable. But the answer is found in verse 3. Let us burst the bonds apart and let us cast away their cords from us. They are saying, be ruled by God. We will not be ruled by his anointed. This is the essence of worldliness. Worldliness. To live in a so so-called free world without God. Limited, or rather to be limited and confined to worldly means for worldly ends. That's what worldliness is. To restrict ourselves to worldly means for worldly ends, to live in a free world without God. But all of these efforts are in vain. As verse 1 tells us, they're powerless, they're unrighteous. Why do the peoples, the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The psalmist tells us. The world speaks 
in these first three verses and give indication that those who are plotting, those who are raging, are those who are inexperienced with grace. They're inexperienced with grace. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, has said this, to a graceless neck, the yoke of Christ is intolerable, but to a saved sinner it is easy and light. We read about that this morning, didn't we? We may judge ourselves by this. Do we love that yoke or do we wish to cast it from us? As the, these nations speak of in verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Whereas if we look at Hosea 11 verse 4, we read there even in the Old Testament that God places an easy yoke upon his people and leads them with compassion with compassion. You see, what we're getting here in these first three verses is what happens in the world when grace is not enough, when grace is not sufficient. And when that happens, when grace is not enough for us, we resort to senseless, faithless rebellion, and that is the essence of sin and unbelief. It is the essence of sin and unbelief. This is the first report of the world. And then we get a heavenly report in verses 4 to 6. How will heaven respond to what is going on on the earth? You'll notice that the first three verses describe chaos, describe things falling apart, restlessness. Whereas verses 4 to 6, we, we get a picture of authority and order coming from the heavens. You can see here the differences between what's going on in the world and what is going on in the presence of God. We see in verse 4 to 6 who God is and what he has done. The state of heaven. That he who sits in the heavens, he who sits in the heavens, speaks to them in his wrath and terrifies them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You see... Notice how, despite of what's going on in the world, God is enthroned in heaven. In spite of what's going on in the world, God sits on high as the sole authority, and he is unreachable for these peoples who would set themselves against God, who would say, let us cast off this yoke, let us break free of God. Let us, let us come against God. Kind of reminds us of the Tower of Babylon, where they would say, let us ascend to the heavens, that we might make a name for ourselves. But the truth is, God is unreachable by, by human efforts, by human attempts. God sits enthroned in heaven. He is secure in heaven. And this is how God responds to unrighteousness. Verse 4, it seems 
quite interesting that the psalmist portrays it this way, that he who sits in the heavens laughs. There's laughter. Why is there laughter from God? Why is it that that God laughs at those who would come against him? Because God knows something that we often don't. He knows who he is. He knows how futile these attempts are. How ridiculous it is for man to be able to cast off God's authority. And here we get the rest of the picture. God's God's anger, God's wrath. He will speak to them in his wrath and God will not give in. God will not give, give in. Interesting, isn't it, that this God who is seated on high, who is so far off, from these peoples who are trying to to remove the yoke of God, to try and cut themselves loose, this God who is so unreachable, yet who has every right to not even answer them, speaks. And we shouldn't miss this. God speaking communicates something of who he is and shows his closeness in spite of how far apart He is how holy he is, how exalted he is over these people, these who rebelled against him. God speaks and reveals his closeness. The unreachable reaches and speaks. He reveals and he reveals a promise. This promise is found in verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill the reality is that so uh, for as much as these nations rage and these peoples plot in vain the true reality of what's going on is found in verse 6 that God's work will be done God's king will be set up on God's place As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This displays the sovereignty of God. No matter what man might do, God's will will be accomplished. His purposes will be carried out. And so God speaks, responds to the world's speaking. To those who are inexperienced with grace, to those who want to cast off the easy yoke of God, God speaks and declares his promise to rule the world through his anointed one. His anointed one. Essentially, these first six verses are saying this, in spite of what's going on in the world, God's promise cannot be overcome. God's promise cannot be overcome. And so we see a promise, first of all, that the world cannot overcome in verses 1 to 6. And then the remainder of the psalm, Psalm Psalm 2, verse 7 to 12, we see a promise that has overcome the world. A promise that has overcome the world. Verses 7 to 9 speak of this anointed one. This anointed one. And this anointed one 
is the one who speaks. There's a change in speaker. Verses 1 to 3 is the world speaking, saying, let us cast off the bonds of God. And and then God's response in verses 4 to 6. And then we're introduced to another speaker in verses 7 to 9. This anointed one who speaks, who's revealed, the one of whom God has said, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and he will communicate who he is. The anointed one speaks this messianic one. And he reveals his closeness, his intimacy with God. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me. He's there establishing who he is. He is not just any speaker. He is not just some herald. But rather he reveals his closeness, his intimacy with God in that the Lord spoke, said to him, you are my son. You are my son. He is a representative of God. He is God's son. And there is not an inequality. There is a relation of origin here. Notice the terms of relationship. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Such a powerful verse this is. It displays in many ways how we understand the Trinity. The Trinity of the Father and the Son. That they are of the same nature yet distinct. God the Son. God the Father. God the Holy Spirit. This thrice holy God are one. And yet God the Father is not God the Spirit and God the Son is not God the Father and so on and so forth. There's not an inequality here, but they are related to one another. They are one. It boggles the mind to think about. Here we see, and here we see as it goes on, it speaks of his power, of what God says to this anointed one, ask of me, And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It speaks of his his iron scepter, it goes on to say in verses 7 and 8. Or sorry, verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. It here declares the rule, the power, the authority of this anointed one. And not only the rule, the power, the authority, but also the worthiness. Because think about this. He is worthy to ask God for the nations and God would grant this to him. Seems to be an echo of this somewhere else in scripture when we come to the very end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28 verse 19, where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And that should give us a clue as to what is going on here and who this anointed one is. That this anointed one was worthy enough to ask God for the nations. He's worthy enough to use his rod of iron to divide and to defend those whom are his. To bring judgment Here we see in this messianic report God's promise to rule the world through his son. Just as 
God, as we've looked at this morning, God has promised to rule the world through his son, through Jesus Christ, the exalted one, the preeminent one. And this leads us to the last few verses of Psalm 2, where we get a gospel report. We've seen a worldly report, a heavenly report, a messianic report, and now we see the psalm summed up with a gospel report, what the anointed one has done. What the anointed one has done. The speaker changes yet again back to the psalmist as he sums up what he has heard. In verses 10 to 12, the psalmist exhorts these kings saying, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the, the earth. You'll notice that he's speaking to the same kings, the same rulers of the earth that we read about in verses two, 1, 2, and 3. Here, the psalmist is warning them. He's giving them opportunity to repent. He's calling them to repentance. There is still a way. There is still hope. You've rebelled against God. You have come against him. And now there's a call for them to be wise, to receive, to serve, and to rejoice. Notice in verses 10 to 12, be wise, be warned, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. He's calling them to change. Don't you see the way to freedom from chaos, from rebellion, from judgment is through the Son. The world we live in thinks that the only way to find freedom is to cast off any restraint, any authority in our lives. But as the Scottish theologian P.T. Forsyth has said, the first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but rather to find its master. To find its master. And so here in verse 12, the psalm is summed up in this final word. Kiss the son. Kiss the son. What does that mean? Well, it's figurative meaning pay homage to the sun. Oftentimes it, with vassal kings under a head king, they would often come and offer tribute, pay homage, and they would kiss the hand of the sun, or the, sorry, rather the king, the head king, in order to pay homage. It's also a sign of friendship, a sign of submission to and so here the psalmist sums up the chaos and the unruliness of the world by calling them to repentance and calling them to the one place where they can find peace, the one place where they will find true freedom. And that is in submitting themselves. Submitting themselves to this anointed one. This is the only way, the psalmist says. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. 
This is how God has planned to deal with the world's chaos and rebellion. He has planned to deal with the world's chaos and rebellion through his son, through his anointed one. God's promise has overcome the world either in judgment or in grace. So the question is, which is it for us tonight? Because God's promise will overcome the world. And that is something no disease, no political party, no movement can interrupt or cast off. As Derek Kidner, the uh, Old Testament commentator, has said, there is no refuge from him, only in him. Only in him. I'd like to just close our time together quickly by telling you the story of a retired couple, another retired couple, who were alarmed by the threat of a nuclear war. They studied all the inhabited places on earth, looking for the place where they could most likely escape the threat of war. They studied and they traveled, and they traveled, and they studied. Finally, they found the perfect place. The perfect place. A small, obscure island off the coast of South America. They moved to the Falkland Islands. And many of you who might know your history... They moved to the Falkland Islands just before Britain invaded to reclaim that territory from Argentina in 1982. And so as you can see, no matter where we might go, no matter how much we might study and, and think and put ourselves through the ringer to try and find some corner of peace in the world, brothers and sisters, it is only found in one place. Is found in Christ. You can't find peace and safety anywhere in the world. You can only find it in Christ. The question is not in today's world, where do you stand on these issues? The question is rather, where do you stand with Jesus? Where do you stand with Jesus? You know... Many of us may look at the, around at the world and say and ask this question, is it true that Christ is really reigning as Psalm 2 tells us? When we, can, when we consider the world events of today, when we consider the wars going on in our world, when we consider all the upheaval, all the immorality, and we look around and we ask that question, is Christ really reigning? I'll admit, it might be easy for us to look around and, and not see much evidence that it doesn't look like Christ reigns. But perhaps I can draw your attention and point you to another moment, another moment in history where Christ was, where he was beaten, where he was struck, where he was nailed to a cross. And on that cross, 
The wrath of God was poured out on him. This man was hung between two thieves. And above him on that cross was this title, the King of the Jews. Now I would ask you, does it look like Christ is really reigning in that place? Friends, when we look to Calvary, it didn't look like Christ was reigning. In fact, in fact, it looked like suffering. It looked like everything had fallen apart. The earth cracked. There was darkness on all the land. He's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But yet it was there on the cross of shame. Jesus revealed the power of God and the goodness of God that there in that horrible moment, grace was offered and our sin was atoned for. And he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. Don't you see? Don't you see that Jesus Christ is the true King and Lord of all, the anointed one. And there on the cross of shame, he revealed the power of God and the goodness of God to save those who put their faith in Jesus by his grace. So friends, this this evening, I want to call you to be wise, to be warned, to serve, to rejoice, to kiss the Son the one who is the true king, who truly reigns over all. And if he truly reigns over all in your life, your focus, your thoughts, your actions, your hope is not found in your own abilities, is not found in some ideal, is not found in some philosophy, is not found in some structure, is not found in some miracle drug. Rather, it is found in Christ and Christ alone. Where do you stand with Jesus this evening? Is your faith in him? Is Christ reigning in your heart? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we confess to you that we acknowledge the raging storm, not of the world outside of us, but but our hearts that are within us. How through our sin we have placed ourselves against God. That we have tried to burst apart your bonds, your authority, your rule, your reign to our own detriment. And yet, though you had every right, O God, to pour out your wrath on every sinner, You sent your anointed one, your son, your king, who you have installed on your holy hill. You have sent your king to us 
and that his arms may be opened wide to receive us who are sinful, who are broken, and his arms are opened wide that we might see the power of God that is able to overcome our sin and our brokenness and receive us into his presence. That we might, in paying homage to the Son, in handing over our very lives to Jesus Christ, we there find rest, we there find freedom, we there find true life. Oh Lord, my prayers for my brothers and sisters here this evening. Lord, that they would see their hope is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So Lord, help us to apply this. When we see all things around us going wrong, may we find our rest in Jesus Christ, in your anointed one. For it is in you that we put our hope. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name.